This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Well, take your Bibles tonight and let's get to work. And we uh, are going to pick up in Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 11 where we left off. I, I think I mentioned last Wednesday night that we're now getting into some areas of, of excessive complication. And I do appreciate you being here to study the word. It takes a lot of, of effort and attention and uh, will on your part to, to uh, ride this through the end because uh, there are um, a lot of things that uh, certainly requires us to go back and rehearse over and over again. Like the old song said, sing them over again to me, wonderful words of life. It reminds me of that song when we get into these particular verses. It's sort of like now we're launching out into the deep and uh, still on the shore, so to speak. But our, our verse is going to pick up tonight uh, with verse number 11 being, being the main verse. But I do think that I, I need to read verse number 10 to get us into the water. All right, so... Obviously, John is writing. He says that in verse 9, but then in verse 10, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Obviously, that's Sunday. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet. We spent last week dealing with that. All right, now, so we pick up tonight with verse number 11, and it sort of reiterates some things that we have already come across in verse number 8. Because if you remember, Jesus speaking, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. All right, now in verse number 11, that's repeated again, saying, now John is hearing this voice. It's loud as a trumpet. It's behind him. The voice is saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book. And send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardius, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. So John was hearing the voice of the Lord. He was instructed to take the message that he heard, and he was instructed to send it to uh, these seven churches. This verse here is pretty simplistic. And uh, I think perhaps the two biggest commandments in this one verse is the fact that he was told to put in a book what he had seen and also deliver it unto the seven churches. These were, by the way, literal churches and literal places. All right, so now verse number 12 gets a little interesting here. And the word says, and I turn to see. Notice that. There are two, two words here that uh, express the emotion that John had getting this revelation, getting this word. And I turn to see the voice. Normally we would say, and I turn to hear the voice. But here it says, and I turn to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw. Seven golden 
candlesticks. Now I want you to look at that carefully because this seven golden candlestick thing in my study is representative of the seven different churches and we've just read those in verse number 11. And by the way, something interesting, early on in our study, we had talked about the importance of the number seven. In fact, I gave you the meanings of numbers one through seven. But all of a sudden now, this number seven, like a tsunami, comes hurling back to the surface of the scriptures. And so I believe that the number seven, as it comes up here, is very significant. I believe it's representative of the seven churches. Now, John turns and and he sees Jesus. This is significant. I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And we know that Jesus is the one doing the speaking uh, as we are taught in verse number 11, verse number eight, and so forth. But John turns to see Jesus and look at it. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. All right, now in verse number 13, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man. Now, do you remember when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was cast into the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar said, hey, I threw three guys in there, but now I see a fourth one and he looks like the Son of God. You remember that? Now, John, he is saying here, he said, I'm seeing this seven golden candlestick thing, but the one in the midst is like unto the Son of Man, the Son of God. In fact, Jesus was referred to Son of Man, Son of God, uh, many times throughout the New Testament. But it gives a description of now what he looks like, what he's wearing. So now here is Jesus clothed. He's clothed in a garment all the way down to his feet. But look at this. He said, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. By the way, the seven golden candlesticks kind of like reminds me in my study of the Old Testament tabernacle. Uh, Now, here, and we can get from this, look at it carefully, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one likened to the Son of Man clothed, with a garment down to the foot and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. Uh, it was one lampstand with seven branches. It's almost typical of the, the Jewish menorah. But what I believe here, it is, it is seven separate ones, seven separate lampstands. And these seven lampstands, I think, are representative of the seven separate churches that are mentioned in verse number 11. In fact, I think it's explained a little better in verse number 20. If you go to verse 20 here in chapter one, it says, the mystery of the seven stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. 
And so that makes it real um, easy uh, to start uh, comprehending this a little bit anyway. The difference is explained, I believe, uh, but the function of this is still the same. So we see the Lord Jesus, and he's pictured here in this moment that John is having. He's pictured as a great high priest, or I want to say he's pictured as our high priest. And in fact, I want us to look at a reference in Exodus chapter 28. Hold your place here, and uh, these fellows will get this on the screen for us here. And I want you to see this talks about uh, the priestly garments. And by the way, uh, on numbers of occasion, numerous occasion, when I was leading groups, Bible study groups in the Holy Land, uh, several times we got to stop at the uh, Israeli Biblical Institute of where they are preparing vessels and garments for the third temple. And uh, these particular Jewish people um, they they truly believe that there is the Zionists. They're gonna. They believe that there is definitely going to come a third temple. And I have actually seen some of the priestly garments that are being made for the third temple. But here, going back to the Old Testament, Exodus twenty-eight, and thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother, for glory and for beauty. And the next verse, and we'll read down through verse four. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office. And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephrod, a robe, broided coat, mentar, a girdle, and they shall make the holy garments for Aaron thy brother and his sons and that may minister unto me in the priest's office. So this is a flashback of, of how that originated in the Old Testament and a comparison as we see in parallel tonight going back now to, or going ahead forward to Revelation chapter 1 and verse number 13 because we're now getting the descriptive uh, explanations of these garments. Verse 13 again, clothed with a garment down to the foot and gird about the paps with a golden girdle. Now the garments in, in this particular verse, it represents without any shadow of a doubt, it represents the inerrant righteousness of Christ. That's what this is. Now, if you look at it a little further about the girdle, and let me say this, uh, Josephus, some of you may be familiar a little bit in history with him. Uh, by the way, he was a Jewish scholar back in AD 93 through 94. And he states that the priests were girded about the breast. The ordinary custom of this girding was about the loins. However, this speaks about the Lord's judgment and truth. I realize that revelation all in itself is difficult. But when we start talking about these specific things, I, I realize I get it because I can saturate myself into this study for hours in a day and you get 30 minutes of it on a Wednesday night and it's, I get it. So try to stay with me, bear with me as we go through some of these difficult 
spots. So what we see now, because of what John is describing, we see a picture of Jesus. That I'm trying to get it as simple as I can here for us. We see a picture of Jesus, and as we see him, John turns to see this great voice behind him. He sees the Son of Man. He's clothed in these priestly garments. So we see a picture of Jesus. We see that Jesus in this function, this passage, as our great high priest, and in his priestly garments, as our great high priest, he is standing in the middle or in the midst of these seven churches. Now, as he's standing in the middle or the midst of these seven churches in his priestly garments, his objective, his, his ministry, his, his moment at this time, he is standing in judgment. He is judging these seven churches. By the way, I, we cannot get away from this, that Jesus is the head of the church. He is the cornerstone. And, and that's significant. Let me also mention this. When John turns, he, he, he not only hears the voice, but he's, the word says he turns to see the voice. When he turns and he sees Jesus standing here in his priestly garments, in the midst of these lampstands, we have to remember this. It's been 60 years since John saw Jesus last. The last time John saw Jesus is when he was ascending back to heaven. The 40th day after his resurrection, he was ascending back to heaven. Do you remember Jesus had all of his disciples there? The angels said, well, you men of Galilee, why stand you here gazing? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come again in like manner as you've seen him go. Now, many things has transpired. John is now on Patmos for the preaching of the word. So when, when John is startled by this loud trumpet, the voice and the word uses trumpet to illustrate it. When he turns for the first time in 60 years, there he sees Jesus. Jesus is quite different in his appearance now in this passage than the time that John saw him go. Now he's standing, Jesus, now you have to remember, the Lord has already told him, he said, what you see, write it down, put it in a book. You need to get this word to the seven churches. So now Jesus is going to explain what John is seeing. And he's standing there in his priestly garments as our high priest. He's now in a position to be a judge. And the significance of, of this girdle thing and the breastplate and so forth. The girdle typifies many of the Lord's emotions as he's standing there before John. And some of these emotions that this girdle represents typically portrayed a restraint in emotion. For example, there were many times 
on earth when Jesus showed his emotions. He was so much God, but yet he was so much man. For example, the Bible clearly teaches us that Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. The Bible's clear. He wept when he looked over Jerusalem. The Bible teaches us that he wept in Gethsemane. But now all of a sudden, when John sees Jesus as our high priest with these priestly garments, standing in the midst of these seven churches, bringing judgment, now the Lord's emotions are not restrained. He managed them well with a lot of self-control, with the Spirit's help while he walked this earth. But now it's a different thing altogether, a different phase altogether. And verse number 14, his head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes were as a flame of fire. Now, I want to mention this for you here at this point. It does, it does not say that, it, that his eyes were a flame of fire. It's sort of like in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came. Brother David's teaching on the Holy Spirit on Sunday mornings. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, empowered the church, the early church. Do you remember what the word says that it came like as a mighty rushing wind? Like a mighty rushing wind. Now look at this. His eyes, it doesn't say were a flame of fire, but were as a flame of fire. All right, I want to go back just a minute to this his head and his hairs were like wool, as white as snow. What, what does that speak of? What, what message is the Spirit bringing our attention to? This, in this passage, it talks about how, how God has been here forever. It's it speaks of his ancient of days. In fact, let me give you this verse in Daniel chapter 7, verse number 9. And if you're writing this down, these scriptures down, you can go back and read them again. But in Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, the Bible says, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the ancient of days did sit. Now, Look at the scripture because it's very descriptive of what we're talking about right here. And the ancient of days did sit, look, whose garment was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was like the fiery flame and his wheels as burning fire. So, in verse number 14, this is talking about exactly what Daniel was prophesying 
concerning the ancient of days. Now, when it says his eyes were as a flame of fire, that is speaking of his, his visual penetrating scrutiny, his penetrating judgment. So try, I know this is like mind blowing, but you picture John turning and seeing now Jesus standing in the midst of these churches now as our high priest in his priestly garments. And he recognizes immediately this is the ancient of days. This is talking about his eternal Godhead. He is now standing. John sees that he's full of wisdom. As his emotions were restrained on the earth, he's now in judgment. And his eyes were penetrating like as fire. I mean, this is this is a an incredible scene that John is looking at. I mean, John recognizes that Jesus has seen time from the very beginning and he has seen everything from the very beginning. Nothing has got by him. And by the way, the Lord has seen you and I from the beginning as well. Now notice verse number 15. And his feet likened to fine brass as if they burned in a furnace. And his voice was as the sound of many waters. Now, brass also typifies and symbolizes judgment as well. The brass that I'm thinking of in comparison to the Old Testament scriptures that we have just read a few moments ago Outside of the brazen altar, outside of the tabernacle, it represented back then the work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus took our place. He bore our judgment on the cross. And this typifies this. Now look at this, the voice of many waters. I took some time to look, look at the metaphor here just for a little bit. And there are three scriptures that I want you to reference with me tonight in comparison to this, the voice of many waters. The first is which is found in Ezekiel chapter 43, verse number two. They get that scripture on the screen quickly for us. Ezekiel chapter 43 and verse number two. All right, so we're moving quickly on. I don't know, did I forget to write that one down, guys? All right, there it is. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east and his voice, look at this, was like a noise of many waters and the earth shined with his glory. There's another one in Revelation 14, verse number two. And I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And then in chapter 19 and verse number six, and I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. 
And so the voice of many waters, when we read this, it's trying to describe God's almighty, omnipotent power. And we move into verse 16. And he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. All right? The seven stars. This represents the angels of the seven churches. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But the overall picture of this is talking about the fact that God is omnipotent and he controls all power. All powers of the earth, all power in the spirit world. God controls all powers. He controls the universe. He's omnipotent. Now look at this thing. You, you're very familiar with this. Some instances in these passages of scripture, your mind clicks uh, very fastly with. But in the midst of verse number 16, we find these words, uh, when a sharp two-edged sword, you're very familiar with that in Hebrews chapter four, verse number 12. The scripture says this, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints of marrow and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So Jesus now standing in the midst of the churches, he's very much in control very much all-powerful, very much judging, and his eyes are penetrating uh, in a very scrutinizing way. There's nothing that is going to escape his judgment. Now, the last thing that I want you to see here is that the, the scripture says, uh, was the sun, his countenance, look at this. His countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. All right? Let me remind you of something, and we need to go to the book of Acts chapter 9 for this because Saul of Tarsus momentarily experienced something like this. What John is seeing, now this is going to have a tremendous impact and effect on John, but Saul of Tarsus experienced something almost to this magnitude in Acts chapter 9, look at these verses, and I want to read for you, because Saul, he saw what John saw. And according to the scriptures, it was enough to blind him. You remember that story? All right, look at it in Acts chapter 9, verse number 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecuted. It is hard for thee <clears throat> to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. So this countenance experience that John was engaging with, 
Saul of Tarsus had a similar experience. But this, this whole thing is speaking about the glory, the glory of the Lord. And you know, it's amazing. You can walk outside on a bright sunny day. And if you look up directly at the sun, I don't know how many of you have ever tried to do that very long without sunglasses. Really probably about two seconds is all you can stand to see the sun with your natural eyes. And so when John is having an assault, but when John was having this spiritual encounter, it was impossible for John to have this visual for any lingering period of time because he could not, his eyes, he could not stand to see uh, the glorified Christ standing before him. The light was radiant and it was, it was brilliant. All right, so now verse 17, keep this in mind as we read. And when I saw him, and this is, the, this is what happened. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, fear not, I'm the first and the last. So if you can kind of keep this thing in sequence, John, John hears the voice. He turns to see who was speaking to him when he turned. He, there he saw Jesus 60 years later from the ascension. There's Jesus standing in his priestly garments as our high priest. He's standing in the midst of the churches. He's standing there in, in the mode of judgment, his eyes penetrating. His countenance was beaming. The glory of the resurrected Christ was just illuminating the area. John looked at him, and according to the word of God, almost like as if he had a massive heart attack. The Bible says when he saw him, he fell. Look at this. I fell at his feet as dead. That, that's an amazing experience. Okay, so John is laying now. He, he's on, on the Isle of Patmos. He's laying there as if he was dead. And Jesus steps forward and puts his hand on him. He, he had a, and, and by the way, John had, a very close relationship with Jesus anyway. It's one of the reasons why he committed Mary, his mother, to John's keeping. Do you remember the word says that John is the one who laid his head upon the breast of Jesus. They, they had a very personal relationship. That was in the upper room. But now when he saw Jesus on Patmos, listen, try to get this. I'm two minutes over. I can't believe it, but I, I want to close with this. So, so it's been 60 years. So, some of us here live 60 years. In John's case, it's been 60 years. Now, what, what would have been, or what do you think would be the typical response if you had a long life friend that you hadn't seen for 60 years and all of a sudden you heard a voice behind you say, hey, turn around. You turned around and you saw your buddy, your friend standing there. One of the first things that we would think from our earthly perspective is that we would run as hard as we could and just bear hug them for a moment. Maybe in a little bit more of a modern exchange of emotion, maybe we'd go up there and slam a high five on them 
maybe we would energetically run with a great fist bump. Man, it's been 60 years. Not in this case. Even though they were close friends, John didn't run up to Jesus to shake his hand, high five him, or fist bump him, or bear hug him. In fact, he didn't even try to have a conversation with him. The experience left John with the feeling that he was actually going to die. Think about that. Jesus laid his hand, his right hand upon him, and he was basically telling him, hey, it's, it's okay. Don't fear. It's going to be all right. It's almost like Jesus is having to resuscitate him with his love and his compassion. That's amazing. It's time to stop. Just getting good, amen. Amen, praise the Lord. I recognize that if I don't put this puzzle together for you, slow. It's, it's, it's a fast-moving train, and I, I don't want you to just be awestruck with it. I'm, I'm trying to give it to you as best as I can. All right, let's stop here tonight. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.